I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Martine Saint-Victor. I'm Isabelle Racico. Welcome to Seat at the Table. Each week on this show, Martine and I share our opinions on topics we debate and discuss in our daily lives, you know, just like old friends do. And we'll have intimate conversations with guests shaping pop culture and the media. Chances are, if you're a parent listening to this right now, you may enjoy a drink or two at the end of the day. It's considered to be quite a normal thing to do, isn't it? Mm. But what about parents who like to smoke pot? Do we consider this to be just as normal? We speak to two parents who indulge in marijuana who say it is. That's this week's Elephant in the Room. And Canadian country music star, my friend, Brett Kissel, joins us at the table. We'll talk to him about the state of Canadian country music and... He'll be teaching us, hopefully, what it takes to make a real country song. Hee-haw! <laughs> so grab a chair and join us on Seat at the Table. So I literally started 2017 with Brett Kissel. We were together on stage we were? New Year's Eve in, yes. in Ottawa to launch a Canada 150 celebrations. And since then, uh, you've become a father for a second time. You've been nominated five times for Canadian Country Music Awards, including Male Artist of the Year and Songwriter of the Year. And you've been performing nonstop. Uh, it's been, it's I been thought crazy. 2016 was busy, but then we started off 2017 with a bang and it's been the busiest year yet. I can't believe it. And now you just arrived last night yes. in Montreal and uh, your guitar never followed you. <laughs> no, I mean, that, our car seat for our daughter, which was a, a disaster getting to the hotel. It was just, a, uh, just such a, a series of errors from, from the airline that starts with a D and rhymes with Belta. But um, <laughs> it was just not a great experience for us. And not having a guitar as a country singer was tough. Not having a car seat as a parent was even worse. So it wasn't a good day for us flying, but that's, you know, just part and parcel of what we do. So you went this morning to a store, you got a guitar, and what happened? Way to turn a, a bad story into a great story, yeah. because I wanted to play guitar w with you and, and, and for you for, for this today. And without having one, we stopped by a pawn shop driving up here to this studio. And I walked in, and I knew I wanted to have a guitar. And the first guitar I saw was a guitar called an Aria guitar, oh. which I've never heard of before. And that's the name of my daughter. Yeah. Our second daughter. So I had to buy the guitar. It was meant and to be. It, it was meant to be. I couldn't believe it. And talking about that second daughter, how has it been being a dad Perfect. for the second time? And she's super tiny and well, little cutie. That's kind of you to say I am the luckiest dad in the world because my two girls, my wife and I, Cecilia, I think truly have the best daughters that are just so kind and great sleepers, great eaters, great travelers, and just great little human beings. Mm. And Mila, who's the, the eldest, does she understand yeah. what that does? 
I think so. I think that she's very interested in in music. Even at at a young age, we sing together. I play guitar for her all the time. We have little dance parties in the kitchen. It's a very special thing that we have. And she loves her sister, though, the most. I mean, she loves (laughs) when I play guitar, but she wants to know where her little sister is at all Mm -hmm. times because that's her real-life dolly. That's her real-life teddy bear. When you see Mila dancing and listening to music, does it bring you back to when you were with your grandfather who introduced you to country music and I think you were like four or five and, yeah. you know, listening to music and dancing with him? It does because I was lucky that my parents, you know, took, you know, some some videos and the old school camera that you'd put on your shoulder and you'd mm. make a VHS of it and we'd watch it from 1992. I'm standing on a on the counter and I'm singing O Canada into a turkey baster, you know, and... <laughs> There are great memories like that with our family. And now I see my daughter doing very similar things. And it's a very special thing to see. And and talking about youth and, and kids, you started in the business very young at 13. Since then, no scandals, no public meltdowns, like some of your contemporaries who started young. How did you escape the trappings of early fame? And well, how come we haven't seen you on page six or on... Yes. Well, I'm I'm afraid maybe uh, maybe karma's gonna and maybe it's gonna be coming. Who knows? <laughs> let's knock on wood. Let's knock on wood. For for what it's worth, I I would give that credit to to two things. First would be I think my upbringing. I grew up on a cattle ranch and in, in northeastern Alberta, and that rural way of life was very special. You know, I give a lot of credit, obviously, to my parents and my grandparents too, because they raised me. We lived in the same yard and and uh, just had a very special childhood. Then as I became a teenager and a young man and I, I met my girlfriend, Cecilia, who later became my wife, she was she was and has always been such a positive influence for me and keeping me on the straight and narrow. And, mm. and to be honest, uh, being able to put me in my place when uh, my head does get too big, because I think like anybody it in happened? this business, it, 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 hap- it happens on a regular basis. And it's important to have people around you that, that you trust to remind you who you really are at your core. And mm. I'm just a kid from the farm who likes to sing country songs, and that's the way that it should be. Wow. Okay, social media is huge for you. In Absolutely. fact, you've got a nomination for, let me get it straight, uh, Interactive Artist of the Year. Correct. That's a very special award at the Canadian Country Association, but I think it's it's just given to the guy who is the biggest joker on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I love to connect with my fans, but I never take myself seriously, especially when it comes to social media. I mean, if you look through my Instagram posts and Twitter posts and Facebook posts, there's a, there's a lot more BS than there is maybe authentic BK. But you're so I mean. you're so personal in your posts, and that's very um, representative of your music. I'm a fan first and foremost of country music and music in general. So I get very excited when I watch some of my favorites, like Garth Brooks, do his Facebook Live. When mm-hmm. I watch Brad Paisley and and see the way that he tweets, like these guys are huge stars, yet are letting us come into their world right, yeah. through social media. So I don't have near as many fans as Garth Brooks does. But I want to try and do some of the same things that he does, you know? Well, speaking of Garth Brooks, he's transcended country music, right? Is this something you aspire to? Absolutely. I think that he was one of the first to truly take his music global. His reach in in Ireland and Scotland, his reach in Asia, his reach in the Scandinavian countries is unbelievable. And that's the true definition of a global megastar, which usually was reserved for rock stars or pop stars. So he was the first guy, I think, in country music to do that. Can I do that? 
Only time will tell. Do I want to do that? Absolutely. But already, uh, Brett, in your videos, you, you've you've kind of um, used a more uh, a less country traditional path, if you will. There's a lot of diversity, for example, in your videos. Do you see a diversity in your crowds? Absolutely. Uh, that's one of the things about country music today is I believe it's the most diverse crowd really? of any genre. A lot of people would think that it's, to be honest, I could say this because I am one, just hillbillies and rednecks that mm -hmm. are listening to country music from the farm. But it's now become such an urban genre to listen to. We've got people that love pop but are starting to love country, people who love hard rock that are starting to love country. We've got your traditionalists. We've got people who love folk and crave Bob Dylan and, and Gordon Lightfoot and mm. Leonard Cohen, but now love country music. So I believe we are the most diverse genre. And, you know, we were talking a little bit off the air and I was telling you how much I love country. Like the Osmonds say, I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and yes. roll. For somebody who doesn't know the essence of country, how can you describe it? Like, for example, I love R&B. But sometimes, you know, in the songs, it's like, baby, you're so fun. You blow my mind, blah, blah, blah. And after three minutes, you're like, okay, where is this going? Where country, <laughs> for me, I love it because there's no ambiguity. Is it, what, well, that's, right? that's a very, very good way to describe it. The way that I would describe country music is that where all other genres focus on melody first, country music will focus, for the most part, on story right. first. Heartbreaks. It is still heartbreaks, Breaks. triumphs, hurting cheating, yeah. love, party. We talk about everything, whereas pop music, for the most part, is going to talk about, you know, your heartbreak, you know, uh, Rihanna, you know, I want you to stay, and that's a beautiful song, or she's going to talk about, you know, I'm going to go to the club and I'm going to have a good time. Those mm -hmm. are kind of the only two things that pop will talk about. Mm -hmm. Whereas for us, we will talk about everything from the hard topics of cancer and diseases and, and, and world events to... You know, a good old party where a lot of people in rural Quebec are, you know, and driving pick up their, truck? Uh, mm -hmm. their pickup truck and they're going <laughs> to have a case of beer and sit in the tailgate and right. they have a bonfire and they're going to have a good time. We sing about that, too. Yeah. You know what I like about country? Like you can have a song and it's like, I love you. And if you don't love me back, I will jump from this bridge. I mean, it's just straight. <laughs> or like exactly. Or Car Carrie Underwood. Like, you know, you cheated on me. I'm going to I'm gonna wreck your vehicle. Exactly. And, or, or there's others that talk about you cheated on me. Like girls say this. You cheated on me. I'm going to murder you. Yeah, like, yeah. There's no ambiguity. No, no, no. It's like, no. I'm mad at you. You're done. And everybody's singing. And, and the audience like, singing. And especially women fans are like, that's right, yeah. Carrie Underwood. I agree with you. Kill that man. It's like, okay. Oh, you're talking about Carrie Underwood. You're in Nashville. Yes. PK's in Nashville. Well, we I miss him. We I, miss PK. So bang, what can you do for us? Well, you know what? I'm not sure if he's going to come back to Montreal. The reason why is because he's been embraced from minute one in Nashville. Mm. And I believe that he's fit so well into the celebrity culture that Nashville is growing right now. One of my favorite PK stories is that what he's there for three, four days. And at the beginning of the Tennessee Titans NFL game, he's at the 50-yard line, and they get a celebrity to wave the rally towel. Well, PK decides he's going to rip off his shirt like Hulk Hogan, <laughs> and he's going to wave the rally towel. Well, he's got 50,000 people in Nashville saying, I love this guy. It's perfect. Yeah, Nashville is good for him. And, and, yeah. so, and so much uh, so much more attention now, nowadays on Nashville with the TV show. Do you watch yes. it? And how accurate is it? Uh, the TV show is excellent. The TV show is very accurate, in my opinion. It's just very sped up. What goes on in an episode actually takes about a year to accomplish. What's very difficult is... For example? For example, 
Gunnar Scott is playing at the Bluebird. He's just a bartender. He happens to sing. There happens to be a record executive. He gets a record deal on Monday morning. He's on tour on Tuesday. Okay, that doesn't happen. It's very likely he's a bartender. He works there for five years, finally gets a break and sings, then sings for another five years. Then finally the record guy is there. And five years later of paperwork and lawyers, 15 years later, he goes on tour. So what happens in a weekend actually takes 10 to 15 years. And so for all the kids out there that want to become country singers, you got the real deal here with Brett Kissel. I want to talk to you about this great moment that you lived when you uh, sang the uh, national anthem during the uh, series. Oilers. Yeah. Is this working? Let's sing it together. Oh, sorry. Your mic stopped working in the arena, and it was the American anthem, and you got everybody singing with you. All the Canadians singing. Yes, Canadians singing. It was a a very special moment. It was a moment of panic that turned into, I think, an amazing moment for the city of Edmonton, for the National Hockey League, and for Canada, because I just lifted up my fingers and tried to conduct... And sure enough, you leave it to 19,000 passionate hockey fans. They've heard the Star Spangled Banner a million times. They knew what to do. Yeah, that was amazing. I I have like goosebumps every time I see this video that's that's on on YouTube. We want to know what it takes to make a great country song. So we we need to have, we need to have your, well, you need to, I know you brought your guitar. So we need to uh, put you to work here. Yeah. Brett? Okay. Well, I'm. I'll say. You know what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Is you need to have a great story. Well, I mean, look at this. I got this guitar from a pawn shop, <laughs> built in 1990, the year I was born. It's called an Aria guitar. I mean, that's the making of a country song right there. Okay. So, I'm concerned. how would it go? Uh, I don't know. So, <laughs> um, at a pawn shop in old Montreal. You know, I said, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to uh, figure it out. I'm not as good as. I mean, a lot of people can like improv, write songs. That is a true craft that many songwriters have. I don't have it. Mm. I'm the guy who just needs a little bit more practice. Tell us about songs that have marked your life or lyrics. Well, there's plenty. I mean, I look at a guy like Garth Brooks. He's got a song called Colin Baton Rouge. Now, lyrically, the song doesn't speak to me. Performance-wise, the song is everything to me. The way he performs that song live, the way that it came across on record, an amazing song. Lyrically, song by John Denver. Country roads take me home to the place I belong. That song speaks to me because I grew up on a farm. I'm never home. I'm in all these cities. And boy, oh boy, do I ever miss my upbringing. Mm-hmm. So leave it to country music to tear at my heartstrings. And what do you have uh, in heavy rotation on in your car when you're driving around? Well, lately I've been listening to uh, a lot of the Eagles. Uh, one of my favorites, Finn Skill, is now filling in for Glenn Fry, who's passed away. May, may rest in peace. And everything about the Eagles I absolutely love. And my wife and I... The first time that we met, she was at a dance that I was performing at in my home area of Bonneville, Alberta. And she was the most beautiful person I've ever seen, still is to this day. I took a risk. I hopped off the stage and I asked if she would dance with me in front of everybody. This is at like 10, 30 p.m. And I thought one of two things is going to happen. I'm either going to look like a big loser if she turns me down, (laughs) but there's enough, like the spotlight was on her 
that it was kind of, I forced her into it. And she danced. I got her number. We Facebooked back and forth. And here we are married seven years, two kids. And this was the song that I played for her. It was, um, I like the way your sparkling earrings lay against your skin so brown. And I want to sleep with you in the desert tonight with a billion stars all around. I got a peaceful, easy feeling And I know you won't let me down Cause I'm already standing I'm already standing Yes, I'm already standing on the ground. So we danced to that song. I'll, I'll dance with right you right <laughs> What did you say? I'll dance with you right now. You know, <laughs> twist my arm. Twist my arm, Brett Kissel. Let's remind people how you really blew up in this country. The song was... Well, started with was started with a song. Oh. It was my first single, and when I got signed to Warner Music, that was like making it to the NHL. I love sports, and that was like <laughs> my big record deal. That was my big break. And started with a song was the track that we released first, and it was the number one most played song in Canada. Yeah. And it's like couldn't have started off with a bigger bang. It was midnight. At the edge of town, me and the boys just hanging out. The radio up and the tailgate down. Yeah, we were passing something around. And right then, that old DJ spun a little gold that was custom made. Everybody hollering, turn it up. Holding up them Dixie cups. And yeah, I remember right about then. I could feel a good time, a good time. Oh, a good time kicking in. It all started with a song. Flicking that match on the gasoline Turning them caution lights green Yeah, when you're 17 You never felt something that strong And you can't help but sing along Looking back on everything I done I could do no wrong It all started with a song It all started with a song Every night when I'm standing in the spotlight all night Yeah, the story of my life All started with a song Flicking that match on the gasoline Turning them caution lights green Yeah, when you're young and free You never felt something so strong You can't help but sing along Looking back on everything I've done I could do no wrong It all started with a song It all started with a song. Yes. Uh, Kissel, you are amazing. Thank you. I want oh, people to go check you out wherever you are in this country. And I know you have an album that's going to be coming out. Yeah, this fall. It's almost complete. And it will be without question. Anything I've ever done has been fun. This one is going to blow it out of the water.
Woo-hoo! We can't wait. It was a treat to have you here. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank and you both, ladies. And please come very back. Much. Like I told you before, I'm going to need a little bit of Brett Kissel live every morning. No problem. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be following you on ladies, tour. Ladies, yeah, you, you check my Instagram. I'll, I'll be posting some songs just for you. Ah, oh, perfect. <laughs> merci, Brett Kissel. Uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Canadian country star Brett Kissel. Next up, the elephant in the room. Okay, so I read a very interesting article in today's Parent Magazine where parents were speaking freely about their use of pot and how marijuana was helping them be better parents. And one parent even said that it was becoming as normal as parents drinking wine. And yet, when I got to the end of the article, it stated that the majority of the parents quoted in it opted to change their real name to protect themselves and their kids. Well, that brings us, <laughs> Isabel, to this week's elephant in the room. Why is there a stigma yeah. around moms and dads who smoke marijuana, especially since we don't bat an eyelash when parents drink or post the hashtag wine o'clock pictures on social media? Which I've done many times. Yeah, you have. <laughs> So we invited two parents who smoke pot to join us at the table. Matt Sadowski is a father of two. He joins us from Toronto. Catherine Van Eden is a mother of two kids and two stepkids, and she runs the Stoner Mom blog. Catherine joins us from Denver, Colorado. Welcome to the table, Catherine and Matt. Hello. Hi. Uh, you guys, it wasn't easy to find parents that were willing to talk <laughs> publicly. Are you surprised? No. <laughs> no? No. Here in the States, um, we still have states that don't have it legalized. So, yeah, we still very much have a stigma and people are, um, you know, concerned about their jobs and obviously children and stuff like that. And obviously you weren't. Uh, I am not. I'm the stoner mom. So, no. <laughs> Why do you think there's such a stigma, Matt? I don't know. I, th I think pretty much everyone on my block smokes pot or does something like it. Uh, I, I actually don't smoke. I do oils or capsules or edibles. One of the reasons is because I don't want my kids smelling it on me. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, pretty much no one bats an eyelash when we're all hanging out at night on our porch or at a neighborhood party or anything and someone pulls it out. It, it, it seems to be pretty normalized, but yeah, maybe coming public, completely public facing, there's still a bit of, because it's illegal. Mm -hmm. Still. Yeah, Still but, but Matt, you mentioned oils and edibles. You, give us details of what that what that is, what it means. First of all, this kind of started just because I was taking it for medical reasons, for anxiety and things like that. I sort of felt one day that I don't see why I could not. I don't really enjoy drinking. You know, I'll have a glass of red wine with a nice dinner. But if if I really want to take, you know, an edge off, I'd rather get a little high. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how it started. And the first time I did it, bath time was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> But wait, Matt, just just because I need a picture here. What's, what is an edible? Do you mean a muffin? Do you need what do you mean? Oh, my. It can be many glorious things. It can be a Rice Krispie Square, a brownie, a cookie, a gummy, a sour jube jube. Um, a pill. A pill. Yeah. Filled, uh, filled with marijuana. Yeah. Like okay. a capsule filled with oil type yeah. stuff. We uh, call them calm pills here. Okay. okay. <laughs> Catherine, um, do you get high when your kids are around? So to me, getting high is the state of like 
inebriation, right? And people that consume marijuana daily, specifically for um, medical reasons, which I do, we don't really feel high very often. So yes, I do consume cannabis when my kids are sort of around. What do you mean? I have a big house and they (laughs) are like 10 and 8 now. So they spend a lot of time on their own, (laughs) like in their room. So I always step outside and that's where I do my main consumption when they're home. Matt, uh, what about you? Do you get high with your kids around? You know, like Catherine was saying, I I would never call it being high, yeah. you know, it, it, it's not it's not the feeling of going to like Oshiega and, <laughs> and 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 getting blitzed while you know broken social scene is is on stage. It's for me, it's it is it's a it's exactly like having a beer at the end of the day, just to mellow out. I mean, by the time I get both my kids to sleep, I have very little time for myself to relax before I should really turn in. Just at the end of the night, just getting a little bit more mellow, um, really helps me personally relax and I also think it gives it, it makes me more attentive to them as well instead of it being a, a laundry list of things we have to do and yelling at them to move faster and brush their teeth and get into bed and this one gets out of bed while I'm putting this one to sleep and all those kind of things. A lot of people are afraid that you know there's an emergency if a parent is under the influence can't drive the kid to the hospital. What do you say to these people? Um, I think those are all pretty valid. Arguments. And yeah, when I was, I used to be very anti-pot for parents and was super judgmental about it. And that was my exact reason was if your kid gets like a fever at, you know, midnight and you have to like rush them to the ER for whatever reason, you have to be able to do that. Um, What I didn't understand at the time is like smoking marijuana isn't like dropping acid or like, you know, it's not some debilitating thing, again, especially since um, I use it so often and my tolerance is crazy high. But anyway, um, so (laughs) if you're you're smoking pot, you know, at 10 after the kids are asleep and there's some emergency, you will be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like nothing sobers a parent up faster than having little eyes staring at them, you know, so... Yeah. Did you guys have any concerns about it regarding your kids? Like, monkey see what monkey do. You know, like this whole notion. And do you have this discussion about about pot and marijuana with your kids? I do because yeah. of what I do for a living. Yeah, of course. Um, they can see you are- on YouTube. Hey guys, I'm the Stoner Mom, and this is another episode of Stoner Basics. Today's topic is the easiest way to roll a joint. Well, they don't, they're not allowed to just like look at YouTube, you know what I mean? Um, and that's responsible parenting. So that's kind of my answer for what do your kids say when they watch your videos? And I'm like, well, they're not supposed to be watching my videos. It's my show is for 18 and up. Um, but yes, I've absolutely talked to them about cannabis and mental health. And I tell you what, they were like more concerned about hearing about their mom having depression Mm -hmm, than anything else than me taking pills or smoking pot. Um, That was much more of a concern to them was the fact that, you know, I was sad at Mm -hmm. any point. They just had no idea. Matt, you were mentioning taking the edge off that you're better parents because of that. It is the same thing as people that are looking forward to coming home and having, you know, a glass of scotch or a glass mm-hmm. of, of wine because, you know, they want to be done with their work day and transition and 
I actually do think it makes me a better parent, makes me listen to them more, kind of makes me laugh with them more instead of it just being like, I got to get these kids homework done and, and washed and in bed by X o'clock so I can have an hour of my own time and then I'm going to sleep. And also, um, my kids are eight and four, so they're a little younger, but at the cottage, at, at parties, they see adults drinking. <laughs> They, they know that they know that there's a thing adults do that alters their state and I haven't had the conversation with them but they understand that sometimes adults do that I you know the the other day I actually had a conversation with my daughter uh, who's eight saying do you know why people drink beer and she knew it wasn't oh because it tastes different mm-hmm. she, she, you know she knew it's it's what adults do to kind of relax and chill out I don't know about you Matt but I've been I was totally raised with um you know, just say no, war against drugs. So for me to teach my kids anything about cannabis being positive is like goes against everything I've been taught, right? Mm -hmm. And I've just had to force myself to educate them and force myself to say the words even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah, Yeah, Matt, what do you feel about it? Were you raised about the same way? We were raised more of um, the dangers of too much drinking. Um, You know, drinking led to... You know, drinking and driving. It led to a lot of physical abuse sometimes. It led to people mm-hmm. being angry. My brother um, stored a seven-foot-tall glass bong in our garage. My younger <laughs> brother growing up, I was in university and kind of found out about this later. And my parents said I'd much rather him be at home doing that, which we feel is a lot less harmful than going out to a party and getting way too intoxicated to know where he is, know how he's going to get home, be sick the next day, all those kind of things. So Your family it, sounds fun, Matt. Expect <laughs> me at the Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Catherine, since you're in uh, Colorado and um, marijuana is already legal there, um, this is my concern as a parent in Canada where marijuana will probably be legal I'm afraid that my kids will have access to it and that it will be normalized too early for them. So how have you guys been managing it in Colorado? Well, first of all, I personally think that it should be normalized. It's medicine for a huge, huge population of people, including, like, you know, veterans and old people and all sorts of people I want to support. So, yes, I do want to normalize it for kids in Colorado. Um, you'll find that in states where it's legalized, teen use goes down, and it's just a lot less dangerous when teens aren't going to the gas station and meeting a drug dealer, you know, totally. mm-hmm. um, to buy pot. They're going to do it anyway. I would feel a lot better knowing that here's how I think. I figure teenagers are going to somehow, like, steal it from their parents' stash, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, maybe smoke it with their their friends or whatever. That's how I, I see it in the future as far as like how teens are going to get their little paws on marijuana. Here, our tax money goes to our schools, right? But then our tax money on marijuana. But it also goes towards anti-marijuana education for kids so that kids are learning that, you know, you do this when you're you of age. Again, high you regularly. You're Absolutely. legally not allowed That's to. That's like how I am. Uh, efficient at work. I clean my house. I mean, I have four kids coming in and out all the time. And yeah, I do all of my business stoned. <laughs> <laughs> yet you're not stoned today. I'm not understanding. I'm not stoned yet. Yes. <laughs> It's <laughs> early. I had to drop <laughs> off my kids and then I came straight here. And can I just say that, you know, obviously... We are like experienced cannabis 
consumers here. But when I first started smoking pot, there was no way I could parent. And so it was absolutely something that I would do at the end of the day when kids were actually asleep and then my partner would not be inebriated, right? Mm -hmm. So it would just be me. Um, and it takes people oh, some some time to build up a tolerance where they can talk about it as sort of willy-nilly as I have. But definitely in the beginning, I say for like the first 18 months of my cannabis use, I had to plan things out like get high at this time because I have the kids in three hours and I need to make sure that I'm sober. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's not really like that because I use it so often and it's just much more medicinal at this point. So people have to build up their tolerance before they can, you know, be as Part- casual yeah. Partake as in I the have routine. Been. But Catherine, right. you, you often talk about coming out of the can of closet. What does that mean <laughs> exactly? <laughs> that just means that you are a secret stoner. <laughs> It's just kind of different everywhere because of um, legal issues. Some places it's legal and some places it's not. So if you're saying, yes, I smoke pot, you're also saying, I break the law. And that's not anything that parents really want to be uh, Mm -hmm. displaying, even if they feel that it's their civil right, you know, to stand up against something they don't believe in. You still don't want to put your children in jeopardy or being, like, taken away or something. I know, Matt, that you said that – you know, your friends do it a lot and it's sort of normalized in your group. But have you felt sometimes judged because you use a marijuana a lot? Um, honestly, no. You've never I, felt judged? I've, I have really? Never, I have never wow. felt judged. I think people are kind of realizing that it's a little two-faced to say that we can go into a store and buy some booze to get to alter our state. But we can't, you know, smoke a little pot or, or consume cannabis in whatever form. Where has it helped you be a better parent, being high? Um, Doing math? Me, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not good at math when I'm not high, so. <laughs> Definitely just increasing your patience and slowing time down a little bit. Yeah. You're like looking at your kids with just a heart full of gratitude and love and appreciation and wonder Cannabis, I like to say, is a youthful type of thing, and it makes you feel kind of connected to them in a way that I never had felt before, like being able to see through their eyes, I guess, a child's eyes, and just really slow down and not be so into my adult life and worries. Like Matt was saying, being able to um, enjoy them rather than bark orders at them, you know, get in the shower, get in bed. Can you, it's more fun, I guess. Could you now be parents without getting high? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. I, I mean, for me, I don't, I don't get high every day, too. So it's just when I'm, when I'm bringing home something from work that I don't want to be baggage for my children. Maybe the question should be, can you be as good as parents as you are now without the marijuana? I mean, for me, I don't want my children watching me, you know, suffer from debilitating depression, yeah, right. um, which is what the alternative would be. I know that I could be as good of a parent without being high, but would I be as fulfilled And happy? No. And does that have something to do with being a good parent? Absolutely. I want to be modeling happiness and joy and not depression for my children. Catherine, marijuana has been legal for three years in your state. So what should we expect in Canada if it is legalized in 2018? I would say figure out your stash situation. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh yeah, you gotta find a good place to hide it, I presume, yeah, so they don't is, find that, it. That is very, very good. Next um, to the Christmas <laughs> presents, perhaps. At, at, at first, when it became a more regular thing in our household, my wife said, "You need to store it properly, not behind my socks or in that drawer where they go." But so now I have a like a locked box. Yes. Um, with a key that only I have on me, and they don't know it exists, so they don't know what they're <laughs> what they'd be looking for. Um, and I think that is really important as well. On the flip side, you know, we have a liquor cabinet that is not, not locked, locked. <laughs> and, exactly, and 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 they could get into it, but you know, we're we're being safe. The stigma does take a while to start to disintegrate, and there also will be like weird horror stories in the very beginning of legalization because people don't know what they're doing. So grown-ups are going to go crazy and get way too high and eat, eat way too many brownies. And <laughs> you'll hear like ridiculous stories in the news. This is not the majority of adults that are using cannabis. And as time goes by, it'll slow down and people will just start acting normally <laughs> with it as they do with alcohol and other substances. We want to thank you, Matt Sadowski from Toronto and Catherine Van Eaton, um, who's also stoner mom. You can go check out her blog from Denver, Colorado. Thank you to both of you. That was really interesting. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. You guys are great. So that was quite an education. What I like most about Catherine, the stoner mom, is that when you look at her, she looks like the mom you see at the grocery store or you see on the playground or you see at the PTA meeting. And for so long, the image of the stoner we had was Willie Nelson and Chi Chong, Chong and Snoop Dogg. And no, here's this mom who looks nothing like that. I understand this whole notion of trying to Main change in mainstream um, yeah. cannabis, but I mean, still, I mean, still, there are there are millions of people incarcerated for smoking marijuana. Exactly. I'll just I'll just throw it out there. As always, we want to hear from you. So, what do you think about parents who smoke pot? Is it the same as having a drink or two at the end of the day? Do you feel stigmatized because you're a parent who likes to get high? Well, shoot us an email. Seat at cbc.ca. The events in Charlottesville two weeks ago continue to resonate with us and with you listeners. We shared our feelings on the tragic events last week. We recorded the show the day after Charlottesville, so it was still very raw. And we want to thank you all, uh, all of you who took the time to give us your take following that episode. We wanted to share one of the emails we received from Evelyn Dales, who wrote, I'm desperately trying to find some positive amongst all this hate. Perhaps it is opportune that Trump is in the White House, if only to get people, white privilege, heads out of the sand. We need to address the racism, sexism, and everything in our countries. Everyone I know is talking about these events and what it means, which I've been encouraged by. When I've brought this up before, I've felt dismissed as folks have just sloughed it off, like saying in their heads, oh, it's M and her social workers bleeding hard. I feel more emboldened to say what needs to be said and call people on their words and action than I've ever felt before. Thank you, Evelyn, for sharing that with us. That's it for this week's show. I'm Martine Saint-Victor. And I'm Isabelle Racicot. Seat at the Table is produced by Alan Johnson and Melissa Fondura, with technical work by Melanie Vian. 
You can also reach us on Facebook at CBC Seat at the Table and tweet us at Isabel Resico at Martine Montreal using the hashtag ACEATCBC. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to review us. Seat at the Table is a CBC original podcast. To hear more shows, visit cbc.ca slash original podcasts. Next week is our last episode for the summer. We know it's devastating. Don't cry for us, Argentina. <laughs> But we have a great show in store for you. We'll be talking with celebrity chef Chuck Hughes on how he ate his way across Canada. And from Muhammad Ali to Colin Kaepernick. You my poser when I'm on freedom. You my poser when I'm on justice. You my poser when I'm on equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs. And you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. We talk about the impact and backlash against athletes who choose to take a stand. Montreal Alouette's defensive end John Bowman and former NBA player and activist Eton Thomas join us for a discussion. Until then, au, au revoir. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.